So I have to confess, when I was a kid growing up, uh, one of the things that I absolutely loved was Saturday morning cartoons. It was like my thing, right? And Saturday morning cartoons were usually fueled by some version of a sugar cereal. Like uh, um, we, we definitely in our household had the Lucky Charms. Those were a favorite or the, um, there were several, you know how Lucky Charms work though. Some of you know this, that like my, my brothers, because you remember I grew up with three brothers, so four boys um, that they'd eat all the marshmallows out of there. I never do that, and then you just have Cheerios, right? It was like, a, uh, but uh, but but they were almost always sugar-fueled uh, morning Saturday morning cartoons, and you, and in the old days you had to watch them when they were on, right? That's how it worked. And uh, but they they would were smart enough to know that they could show commercials um, that would inspire you to buy a different kind of cereal. So Honeycombs was the one that got my attention, uh, especially because they were offering if you got a little metal license plate and. And it said lucky across it that you could get a brand new BMX bicycle. And I was convinced that this was going to be my new BMX bicycle. And uh, so we shifted our allegiance from the other sugar cereals to honeycombs for some time. Uh, I convinced my mom that they were the more healthy, whatever it was, right? So, so, so we uh, bought honeycombs. We only ate honeycombs for a while. And I can remember the excitement. It was almost to Charlie from Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory levels of excitement. Uh, when I got one of those license plates, I saw the L at the beginning and I pulled it out and it said loser across the front of it. No. Uh, but I, I remember the conversation I had, deep philosophy kind of conversation with my friend Andy uh, and we just decided it was all a, a scam, right? So, you know, nobody gets this stupid BMX bicycle, right? Uh, I'm sure that this is just a marketing ploy to convince us, to convince our moms to buy you know how it is, right? Well, well, honestly, um, I really did wonder if it was real. I remember thinking, like, I won't believe this thing is real until I see somebody who's actually gotten one of those bikes. And sure enough, my brother DJ pulled out of a, a honeycomb box one that said Lucky on it. And, uh, and so I, I think he probably wishes he still had it today because it's probably more valuable than the BMX bike, right? But uh, he pulled out that thing, and I can remember the day uh, when this giant box truck backed down our long driveway in Huber Heights, Ohio, uh, and they, they pulled out this BMX bike and handed it to my brother, and it was like, okay, it's real. All right, I admit, like, it's real. Uh, this, this morning, I want to recognize something with you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about eternity and we're going to talk about something that for some of us is truly shrouded in mystery. Like for some of us, we, we recognize that there's things that people talk about, like heaven. And, and it might be as mysterious as an award from a shoe, I mean, from a, a cereal box. That, that somebody else gets that, or that's for a later time for us to understand. And today, as we study in the book of Philippians, as we continue our series that we're calling Laugh Again... Uh, one of the things that I want to celebrate is the Apostle Paul understood a, a, very, a very powerful lesson for us. The Apostle Paul understood something that was incredibly helpful, and that is the Lord Jesus, when he lived his life, he lived his life filled with joy. And so today, when we study his word together, we're going to see this phrase, to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. And what we see from the Apostle Paul today is we're going to recognize his ability to say, I trust you, Lord. You got this figured out. And as we study this together, I want to just begin with an honesty that recognizes the fact that when we talk about our eternity, uh, that for some of us, it's full of questions. Sometimes they're hard questions. Like some of us stand back and we're like, well, won't I be bored in heaven? Or when it comes to, uh, uh, let's go back to that one. Some of you are like, man, it sounds like a really long church service. And I'm like, I'm good with church services, but like for eternity, right? Uh, There's that question, or will I recognize people in heaven? What about people who don't go to heaven? Will I miss them? What does it mean for will we have emotions and, and, and experience things? Will we, what will we do in heaven? Will we sit around all day and play our harps, right? And, and I think these questions are authentic ones. Uh, but what I want to celebrate together with you, the title of this morning's message is Victory. And what I want to celebrate with you, I could have maybe labeled it a little differently to say great expectations is what you and I can have because as Christ followers, if we've placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can anticipate both a blessing in this life, but an incredible blessing for eternity. It ought to actually motivate us. In this morning, there's a funny little word that we actually named our church after. It's in Greek, it's elpis, and it means um, hope. It's what we translate as hope. And I want to remind you, when we see hope included in these verses this morning, what we're going to celebrate together is the fact that hope is always in an object. In fact, true biblical hope means an expectation of something that's going to happen. It's not that it might happen, but it's an expectation of something that's going to happen. It's already been paid for. The truck is on its way. The opportunity to experience this blessing is en route to you. And so for each of us, we're going to talk today about what it means for us to be honest about our future. And we're also going to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Apostle Paul says those incredible words, to live is Christ, that that was not just an Eeyore dripping sadness, discouragement, frustration, burden bearing declaration of the sacrifice of Christ, which I'll be honest, I think that that's often what my mind has thought of when I think of to live is Christ. You could subsidize that or substitute that for to live is suffering. But I want to celebrate this morning as I've studied God's word in preparation for this time that I want to celebrate the fact that to live is Christ means to live within good tidings of great joy. It's to recognize the Christ life as being the best possible life that we can live on earth. I want you to understand that Johnny Erickson Tata said this in a, in a book she wrote about heaven. She described our Lord as the Lord of joy. And what I love about that is here, Johnny, Johnny was a person who was paralyzed in her early 20s. She had experienced great difficulty, and yet her description of our Lord is one that resonates with the simple truth of John 15, 11, when it says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what my Lord is. He's a Lord that is filled with joy. And so the Apostle Paul didn't learn how to do this joyful living above his circumstances from, from a God that didn't understand it. But instead, it's something that's, that I've been delighted to see is saturated in Scripture. 
And, and brothers and sisters, I want to celebrate with you this morning that believers win in this life and in the next. We have the privilege of anticipating great victory. And I celebrate the fact that we worship together the Lord of joy. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. In the midst of this series that we've been going through, laugh again. Uh, we recognize this, this, this section again, like many others, is just saturated with the joy of the Lord. In fact, in verse 18 at the end, um, the Apostle Paul says again this phrase that's repeated multiple times in this wonderful book to his friends in the church that he helped plant in Philippi. He says this, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, the word that I mentioned earlier, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, is to live is Christ and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I love that declaration. He gets it. The anticipation of our internal state is so much better than the world that we live in. But, he goes on to say, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Before we go any further, I want you to just make sure you catch this. So here he is, chained to a Roman guard, anticipating a hope that he has to be able to return to Philippi to minister to this church that he loved, but not really knowing what's going to happen next. But he declares, he hopes, if it's the Lord's will, which many of you have prayed before, if it's the Lord's will that he spares me, I hope and pray that I have the ability to engage with you again so that, that um, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Brothers and sisters, I celebrate the fact that as Paul articulates his great expectations, he's communicating to us in his lifestyle what it means to be above his circumstances, what it means to radiate great joy in the midst of a time of being uh, what is unknown. What's next? I don't know. But what I do know is God's got his hand upon me today, and he will have his hand of protection upon me tomorrow. Do you believe that in your life? Do you believe that when you're experiencing the pain and, and challenges of life? Do you believe that that was a part of the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ? That there was an abated expectation that allowed himself to say things like, not my will, but thine. You got this. I am along with you on this journey. I celebrate this simple statement, but this truth, that the Christ life is a wonderful life. That, that the Christ life is a life that is saturated with joy and is not underneath the circumstances of our life. And I think it's helpful for me to see in the text that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us how to live victoriously. He says this, the Apostle Paul said, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I also grew up not just doing Saturday morning cartoons, but I loved me some Karate Kid. 
So I admit that. So I'm the only person here. Am I it? So uh, I, I loved the idea of Mr. Miyagi, uh, the um, personified coach of, that was in Daniel LaRusso's corner, helping him through the journey of life. And I love this image that as the Apostle Paul talks about Christ being in his corner, that he's basically saying together with him, we can experience what's next I'll remind you in Matthew of a description that Jesus taught. He says, come to me when you're exhausted, when you're weary, when you're overwhelmed, and I will give you, what's he say? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This, this description is so helpful for me. I've taught it many times before, but it's important for us to understand. He's saying, you are not asked to go through the burden and experience of life alone, but instead, the Lord is there beside us. He's teaching us what the next right steps are. He's teaching us how to live victoriously, that Jesus is our fellow co-worker. When we understand this, I think it helps us as we pick back up in verse 19 of Philippians 1. It says, this will turn out for my deliverance. I, I love that phrase. Many people who I love in the times of the twilight of their life have been able to say, the Lord is going to heal me in this life or the next. I think that's his declaration. The Lord's going to deliver me in this life or the next. And then he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. These, these words combined together are powerful. Hope, we've already talked about it, being the clear expectation of not what might happen, but the expectation of what is sure. The other statement, eager expectation. This is, this is an incredible word. It's an athletic term that the, the competitor that's running in the race leans out to hit the finish line. You've seen it before. Or it's the, it's the football uh, player that's, that's launching out to reach to hit the pylon with the football in their hand because they, they know that, that is, if they hit that thing that they're going to be successful. And I think the Apostle Paul is saying, at the end of my life, in the twilight of my life, I'm all in and I'm expecting that there's something on the other side that's worth living and dying for. This is the, the prefix of the Greek word that we use here um, is a very helpful one. When it talks about attentive expectation, it means to turn your eyes away from everything but what you're aiming towards. That's the description here. I also get this baited anticipation that, that makes everything else kind of irrelevant. It reminds me of the moments before your first child is born or you're expecting um, that, that Christmas Eve experience where you know the next day something great is going to happen. That, that eager anticipation and expectation of something delightful. I think that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying he lived this way. And when we do that, I love the words that, that Helen uh, Lemel wrote in the familiar hymn that we sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Uh, you're following his eyeline. You're seeing where he's headed. You're trusting that he is on the move and we get to align with him. This is what I think it means when it says that we find help 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I think that it's appropriate for us to understand that this help is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is what, it, what flows out of being in connection with our Lord. I think it's encouraging to me to understand it. That statement, with full courage, is uh, the difference between an individual, you guys know this, uh, at least I definitely know this. I know what it feels like to go into an exam and you not being prepared for it, right? That, that's, a, that's a terrible feeling, isn't it? In fact, some of us have nightmares. It's been, uh, for me, 20 years ago that I had formal education, and I still at times wake up, and I'm like, what about that exam that I didn't study for, right? We know that that, that is one way that you can anticipate a test, but this description is the exact oppos opposite of that. When it says that we anticipate it with full courage, this is like what we read in 1 John 2.28 that says, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. In other words, we're prepared for what's next, right? We anticipate it. We're excited and we allow it to change and motivate us in the actions that we have in our life. I think Christ teaches us how to live today victoriously. I also love this. This is where the, the challenge for me and preparation for this morning has been so good. Is that Christ truly lived joyfully above his circumstances. When the Apostle Paul says in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to recognize that the Christ life or the way Christ lived, in many ways, it was completely and entirely saturated by joy. Uh, Donald McLeod said it this way, and I think it's helpful. He says, a joyless life. If Jesus had lived a joyless life, it would have been a sinful life. But Jesus experienced deep, habitual joy in his life. That's who he was in his book, The Person of Christ, when he describes it. I think it's a powerful understanding of Jesus. You remember that um, Jesus would have been heralded in his anticipation of good news of great joy as they anticipated the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's helpful for us to unpack John 15, 11, when it says, that, um, that the things that Jesus spoke to us, to his devoted disciples, he says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus was a Lord of joy. I love the fact that in Hebrews 1.9, in the description of the Lord Jesus, it says this, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It's amazing for me to even think of Jesus as being a person who was so joyful that kids wanted to press around to interact with the Lord Jesus, that people were willing to climb trees to hear his voice, to see him in action. And I even love the description that's recorded in Luke 7 of people accusing Jesus of being so filled with joy that they thought he might even be drunk. You, you understand what, what, what we're saying about Jesus is for some of us, maybe the perception that we've had of him, the God that we worship, that we call our Lord, is one that may misunderstand the fact that Jesus was a person when he walked this earth that radiated the joy of the Lord. I, I love the way Johnny put it when she says that, when she describes him as the Lord of joy. 
And I, I think that's what allows the Apostle Paul in verse 25 to say, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What I love is he's not talking about glory in my coming to you, but he's saying I want to glory in the one who will teach you how to live with great joy. Uh, I mentioned earlier Johnny Erickson Tata, and uh, she had moved me in with a, a very powerful book that she wrote uh, many years ago with the title of Heaven. And uh, I, I've, there's so many bits and pieces of it that have influenced my life. But in that book, uh, she talks about an event that happened historically. Some of us uh, weren't, weren't alive or coherent when this actually happened. But when she describes it, maybe you've seen the movie or you remember it like yesterday. But she talks about a few things in this quote. It's a longer one. But the first is that she's going to talk about what it means for people to have jointly experienced victory together. And what impact that has on those who've been connected together with that victory and how it moves them to understand, uh, and in this case, she's going to describe, understand God in a better way. She says this in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home. During the 1982 Winter Olympics, the U.S. hockey team, in her words, pulverized the Russians. Um, whether in, in front of a television, in the stands, or on the ice, we all became one in the euphoria of victory. Um, my strong He-Man father, this is Joni's words, uh, once told me about a time when he was standing at the edge of a cliff overlooking Yellowstone Falls. With tears in his eyes, he described how he became one with the deafening roar of the water. If you've ever experienced any of this, Joni says, it's an inkling of the joy that can overtake us when we take just one glance of the Lord of joy. We will lose ourselves in him. We will become one with him. We will be in Christ. We will have put on Christ at the deepest, most profound and exhilarating level. The Lord's wedding gift to us will be the joy of sharing totally in his nature without us losing our identity. No, we shall receive our identity. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And she closes with an exclamation point. Isn't that awesome? What she's describing there is a person who's tasted the joy of the Lord. And I think it's also um, not just for a person who lost her mobility at a young age unexpectedly, but for all of us, there's a, a privilege for us to anticipate what God is going to do through the blessing of our eternal state. And, and I want to honor and, and encourage you to study this. This is worth our time to study what heaven will be like. We don't talk a ton about it, not because it's not in scripture, but there are a lot of things that we don't know. But I want to bring to the surface some of our questions that are common when it comes to our eternal state. And I want to uh, honor a book that I've appreciated um, by Randy Alcorn with the title Heaven. Um, and these uh, are some of the observations that Randy made in his book that I found to be very helpful. The first one is that when we anticipate heaven, it's going to be the ultimate upgrade for us. Paul summarizes this in the text. And here, I think it's appropriate for us to understand that you and I will not miss our old lives. 
In Isaiah chapter 65, 16, it says, because the former troubles are forgotten, they are hidden from my eyes. And in his book, Randy uses the illustration of being, um, being upgraded to first class. If you're sitting in first class, you don't worry too much about what's happening in coach, right? You understand that, that image. He's, he's saying when we experience this blessing of what we're taught in Revelation 21, verse 4, and others, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no more, there be no more, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Um, you are not going to lose time thinking about your life on earth. I think the second thought that's helpful for me is you and I will not become angels. I'm sorry, no harp for you. All right? I think that that's been something that, that we've misunderstood or has been portrayed in other places. But an angel biblically is a messenger equipped by God for a purpose. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 13 and 14, it says this, describing the distinction between angels and human beings. He says this, and to which of the angels... Has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And there's other passages that help us to understand that uh, you and I will not be angels, um, but instead we will experience the blessing of a glorified body, um, the blessing of life in our eternal state. And it's going to be awesome. The next one's probably one that I admit I'm most excited about. And that is you and I will no longer be tempted. And the reason why I say that is because I believe that each one of us in our life have to struggle this side of eternity on three things. It's the world, uh, the temptations that come from the world that's around us, our flesh, the appetites that we have that are inside of us that don't always glorify the Lord and um, the world of flesh and, and the devil, that there are strategic temptations that he brings in our life in order to steal us away for those of us who are not believers in Christ yet to keep us away from understanding the grace of Christ. And for those of us who are Christ followers, his desire is to render us ineffective for the kingdom. He, he doesn't want us to glorify the Lord. He doesn't want us to worship him. He actually wants us to steal people away from the understanding of grace from the Lord. And you know what I celebrate together with you is in our eternal state, you and I will no longer be tempted to sin. And there's a celebration of that fact. And I would say to you, the reason why I celebrate that is I believe that when it comes to our flesh in particular, if you are not fighting in this area, you are probably failing in this area in your life. And so as a Christ follower, I celebrate the fact that we will not be tempted. Uh, the next one is so encouraging to me. I had a professor who taught this in seminary, and I think I heard it for the first time. So will we be bored in heaven? No, I don't believe we'll be bored in heaven. And part of that is because you and I are going to have work to do. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about, or chapter 2, I'm sorry, it talks about the work that Adam and Eve were doing in the garden before sin entered the world. And, and the beautiful thing about that is you and I are going to get to be a part of creation. We're going to get to, to continue to build on the foundation of what's been before. We will have challenges. We will have, I believe, positive responsibilities. I think we'll have meaningful things to do. I don't know for sure if you'll get to have angry birds with you, um, but I can tell you 
you that there will be meaningful things that we will do. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Um, the best part about it is there won't be any weeds at that time, I believe. So, so I celebrate the fact that we will have work to do. Uh, some of you have asked this question, and it's an appropriate one, and Randy addresses it in his book, and that is, will we still experience emotions? Um, and I, I think it's important for us to understand um, that our emotions are a gift from the Lord, and we will get the privilege of experiencing emotion. In fact, in Scripture, God said to, is God himself uh, enjoys laughter, uh, love to take delight, to rejoice. Uh, at times he's described as being angry or happy or jealous or uh, to be glad. And I think that one of the things that we recognize about our emotions is that they are a gift from God. What we also know is the good emotions that we experience will be a part of the privilege of in participating in things like banquets and feasts and singing. You know, people will laugh in heaven. It says this in Luke 6, 21. It says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed for those who weep now, for you will someday laugh. I think it's appropriate for us to recognize um, that uh, we will still not know everything. Uh, that's a helpful distinction for us, that there will be still things that we learn. We will still grow in our wisdom and knowledge. Um, our, the God that we worship is omniscient. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, you and I are not. And so uh, we will continue to um, grow in our knowledge and understanding. And I celebrate that fact. I love the fact that there is more for us to learn. We won't know everything. The next is that uh, this one is, is a blessing. I think this is an encouragement to me, is that we will recognize one another. And think that this, um, this question is one that comes to mind for many of us, especially those of us who've lost loved ones, um, those who we um, long to see again in our life. And I think it's helpful for us to understand um, that in Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, um, there are descriptions that help us to understand that in the upgraded body that we anticipate that we will still have characteristics that will help us to be identifiable. It says this, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of a man from heaven. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Um, what we know in the Old Testament, especially with people post post um, times of passing on to the next life, that they're recognizable. They're known by name. They're identifiable. Even the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ was identifiable after he had resurrected from the dead. And so uh, we, we believe that we will recognize one another in our eternal state. This next one is a big one uh, for us, and that is, will you and I be bored? How will we avoid boredom? And I think that this is a really important statement. I've actually had people say this to me. Um, none of you would be um, silly enough to say this kind of statement, but I want you to hear this. They say, I'd rather be having a good time in hell than to be bored in heaven. Um, there's, there's versions of that. Like, what would it be like uh, in a place where, where sin is not an option? And I think for some people that connects itself with boredom. And I just want to recognize uh, an incredible, significant, false understanding 
um, about sin, that this is actually a lie of Satan, that sin is exciting, that it is um, being righteous is boring. And I think that an underlying belief is exposed in that kind of a question. Uh, I actually believe that sin in and of itself does not make life more interesting. Um, I actually believe it, it is a tool that the deceiver likes to use to steal, kill, and to devour. Um, and so when we look at these decisions and options and choices by taking away the option of sin, what we recognize is that, is that it allows us to experience the full freedom from sin that the Lord Jesus modeled in his life. And it's actually why he was able to live his life in the fullness of joy. Psalm 16:11 puts it this way. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I celebrate the fact that the Lord has provided for us the deepest needs in our life. And I think it's appropriate as we look at this last one that um, we, many of us have asked this question. If our loved ones are not there, won't that spoil heaven? And I, I think it's important for us to understand um, the fact that when we have the privilege of entering into heaven, I think uh, Randy Alcorn puts it well in his book. He says this, in heaven we'll see clearly that God revealed himself to each person and that he gave opportunity for each heart or conscience to seek and respond to him. And he cites Romans chapter one, some of you are familiar with it through chapter two, talking about how God has revealed himself to us through his creation. He says, everyone deserves hell. No one deserves heaven. Jesus went to the cross to offer salvation to all. God is absolutely sovereign and doesn't desire any to perish, yet many will perish in their unbelief. I think it's helpful for us to understand that in heaven we'll embrace God's holiness and we'll also embrace his justice. God will be our true source of joy. And in Randy's uh, words, he says, hell's small and distant shadow will not interfere with God's greatness or our joy in him. So all of this should motivate us to share the gospel of Christ with family and friends, neighbors, and the whole world. Revelation 21, 4 says this again. I read it earlier. This is a wonderful description of the eternal state that we will be blessed with, those of us who are believers. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no more be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So, so when we look at this list, and this is just a partial list, I know for some of us, we, we still have our questions like, what about my dog or your cats? Or, uh, you know, what is it going to be like? And will we eat? And I think these are wonderful questions. And I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that part of what the Lord has done when he tells us that his word is sufficient for us is he's done enough for us to allow us to have an abated anticipation of what is next. If we go back to what the Apostle Paul wrote in the first chapter of Philippians, he's saying he was able to face both life and death through the knowledge that the God that we worship is a promise-keeping God. And I say, amen. That the God that I worship understands the deepest questions of our hearts and has made provision for the deepest needs in our life. And I will humbly say this to you this morning. I want to be there with you. I really do. 
I want to experience the blessing and joy of the Lord for eternity in your presence. And uh, it was so, so fun this morning after the first service, there was a, a saint that came up to me and she said, during COVID, uh, I just decided that I'm just going to start being deliberate about sharing the truth of the gospel to people around me. And she shared some a, a, a challenging conversation. She had a Costco with one of their neighbors. Um, she shared with somebody that she, she said, this is awesome. I love this. She said at the end of those, in, those phone calls that she has when she's on customer service, like helplines in some other country where you can barely understand what everybody's saying. She said that she's had hour-long conversations with people at the end because often they have that sentence. She's like, I'm always listening for the sentence that says, is there anything else that I can help you with? You know? And she's like, well, I can share that with you. And she just shared it. And her husband shaking her head, his head. He's like, oh yeah, she's on the phone all the time. And I just, I just love it. Because basically what she's saying is she's saying, I believe that this is true. I believe every person that I meet is an eternal person. I want to have them join us for eternity with the blessings and promises that are recorded in scripture. And I think that's partially why the Apostle Paul was able to, to describe uh, his decision that he had in front of him about pressing on full strength, full throttle towards the victory that the Lord had for him, that he was able to do that because he sincerely believed that this is simple and yet true. First Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says it like this. He says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, so the question I have for you is, do you desire that right now? Do you believe that that's a part of your privilege to have the same observation that the Apostle Paul said, and that was, I'm going to learn what it is like to live like Christ today, um, and I'm going to have a, an, an eager anticipation someday of the upgrade that I will have in my eternal state in the presence of the Lord. I, I want to encourage you. There's a wonderful passage in the book of Romans. When I say I want you to join me in this is that this passage says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be same. That's what it says. And, and, and I'll recognize, even when we read this, that, that there's, a, there's a part of this that it sounds so simple. It sounds so straightforward. But I want you to understand that, that, that when, when he talks about being saved, um, it is not just that we're being saved from something, but we're being saved to something. And so his condition that he has for us is, for those of us who've understood the truth of the gospel, it is something that his desire for us is to receive it and to live like it's the most important thing about us. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you've not recognized the fact that Jesus is Lord, if you've not confessed that in your life, I, don't, I can't imagine a better time to do that. Uh, partially because I want to have the privilege of spending eternity with you. And, and I know, I want to give space for this. I know for some of us, we have questions. We're curious. We don't understand. We have, and, and I'll just want to, as an application point this morning, I've recommended two books that were written about heaven, and there have been many others that are very helpful. Today. I want to encourage you to, to spend time understanding what blessing and privilege the Lord anticipates for each and every one of us. Why? Because he truly is a promise-keeping God. 
I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to ask you to stand up as we close our time up in worship. And I'm going to pray for each one of us. Lord, we love you. And as we, we stand together, we pray, Lord, that you would receive our tithes and offerings in a manner that is worthy of you. I also pray as we close our time out in worship with these last two songs, I pray, Father God, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us of your loving kindness. And I, I celebrate this morning your truth applied in a life um, that was not easy, was not simple, but that was able to live above his heavy circumstances. I celebrate that. And I pray uh, only through the power of your Holy Spirit that each and every person that's here would give careful consideration of what it means for them to have a Savior that was filled with joy, that lived an abundant life, and then chose to seek and to save that which was lost through his death. I pray that they would receive that simple and powerful truth in the spirit that it was intended as it was given. We love you. We thank you for this morning. We ask that your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.